Thanks so much for joining for another episode of Run the List, a medical education podcast designed by Dr. Naveen Kumar, an attending gastroenterologist at Brigham and Women's Hospital, Emily Gutowski, a Harvard medical student planning on going into internal medicine, and Dr. Walker Red, myself, an internal medicine resident here at Brigham and Women's Hospital. As a quick disclaimer, this podcast is meant for informational and educational purposes only. It should not be understood as medical advice under any circumstances. Welcome back to our favorite podcast, Run the List. This is a special one for me because I am actually able to flip the tables here. Uh, you probably recognize my voice from the initial GI episodes. This is uh, Naveen Kumar. And now I get to be the host and I get to do it with someone who I really respect and really enjoy talking to. And that's my good friend, Dr. Sanjay Devakaran. So let's do some intro. Okay. So Sanjay is from the great region of Long Island, New York. And actually, I, th- I believe it's through you that I learned that if you like the Giants, you generally like the Yankees, and you like the Knicks, and you like the Rangers. Those kind of go together? Yes, for sure. And what's interesting is that it, it, it's a hard time right now for some of those teams. Can we switch topics? <laughs> okay, okay. So we'll keep moving. Um, so, okay, based in New York, came out to Massachusetts, went to MIT for undergrad, and then Harvard Medical School, and then kind of followed me, I'd say. Um, then came over exactly. to Brigham. <laughs> came over to Brigham and Women's Hospital for residency, is currently finishing up his cardiology fellowship. And uh, within that cardiology fellowship, he took a year to serve in the honorable role of chief medical resident. And then very exciting news that he's going to be joining on as faculty at the Brigham in July. And just a quick anecdote, I was at Sanjay's graduation where um, you would never say this, you're so humble, but literally this this man swept all of the teaching awards. It was so impressive. And so we're so excited to have you here to help uh, help us run the list. Naveen, I am uh, equally excited to be here. As you've outlined, we, we share many, uh, many of our histories together from medical school, residency, and um, this is really special to be here to talk about cardiology because for the listeners out there, Naveen was actually my senior resident <laughs> when I was an intern on the cardiology night float service, and I learned a lot of cardiology from him, even though he went into GI, and it's a special treat to be here with Naveen. And then the final anecdote here is you might realize that we're pretty comfortable talking to each other because it, it turns out we're actually upstairs and downstairs neighbors, so the comfort level here is high right now. <laughs> That is wonderful. I mean, you you all can't see this, but we're actually both crying uh, <laughs> right now. But so let's move on. Very excited today to talk about the non-invasive evaluation of chest pain. So let's get to it. Let's go ahead and run the list. All right, so let's start with our case. So we have a 59-year-old female with a history of hypertension, type 2 diabetes, and a family history of early coronary artery disease who's coming to your primary care clinic with episodic chest pain. So you ask some more questions, and she essentially describes the pain as a pressure that occurs primarily when running up a hill near her home and is localized to her substernal chest region. It does not occur every time, but it does resolve with rest. These symptoms started about three months ago. So you get some vital signs, you do a physical exam, you also get a resting EKG. All of these are unremarkable. Now, as Sanjay mentioned, as you all know, I'm a gastroenterologist, but it seems to me that this patient may have some issue with perfusion of her heart. So Sanjay, what is your approach to the workup of chest pain in a patient such as this? Well, thanks, Naveen. Um, A really great case, and importantly, a case that uh, all of us will see either in primary care clinic, in the emergency room, or in our cardiology clinics. 
And I'd like to really focus on two key aspects of, of the approach to this patient. One is Bayes' theorem and really understanding a patient's pretest probability. And this is something I, I learned thoroughly from two of my mentors, uh, Marcelo DeCarli and Ron Blankstein here at the Brigham and in the Cardiac Imaging Program. And the concept is, is that if someone has a low pretest probability of coronary disease, or for any disease for that matter, and you're getting a test to work that patient up, you may not believe a positive study. On the flip side, if someone is at a very, very high pretest probability of a diagnosis, you might not believe a negative study. And so the value of testing in those extremes of pretest probability are low. However, if someone's at intermediate risk, then the pretest to post-test probability changes significantly and can really affect management. So understanding an individual's pretest probability of disease, in my mind, is one of the essential points of ordering a diagnostic test. Now, specifically for coronary disease, cardiologists and in our guidelines, we think about the intermediate range as quite a broad one, actually, 10 to 90% pretest probability. And there are two ways that come to mind when I think about considering pretest probability. One is the Diamond Forrester, and the second is this a coronary artery disease consortium. The first really relies on the character of the patient's pain as well as their sex and age. And the second includes other clinical factors such as dyslipidemia, diabetes, etc. But what we're getting at is that patient in front of you, what is the probability that this person has CAD? You know, inputting both this patient's characteristics back into these equations, um, you get that this patient's at intermediate risk for CAD from both of the calculations, the Diamond Forrester and the CAD Consortium. And the CAD Consortium gives you a little bit more percentages, and she's kind of in that 20% range of pretest probability of CAD. The second key, I think, uh, is to really know the question you're asking anytime you order a diagnostic study. And um, Fidencio Saldana, one of my mentors here and a cardiologist and the dean of students at HMS, taught me this. And there are many questions we can ask when we order a stress test, but by far and away, the most common, and I think the one that applies to this patient, is, are my patient's symptoms from flow-limiting coronary artery disease? But what's important to consider is there are many other tests that, or many other questions we can ask when we order a test. For example, for my patient with known coronary artery disease, are his or her symptoms from obstructed disease, and where is that obstruction, is one example. Another one could be, is my patient with severe aortic stenosis truly asymptomatic, or are they not doing that much at home? I love starting with that discussion because it's so relevant to the topic we have today, but also really to any medical testing that you're thinking of pursuing in a patient. Think about the pretest probability, harnessing that knowledge to know, um, to basically decide on do you need to pursue testing? Is it actually going to change your management? And then two, like you said, really know what question are you asking? Is the test that you're sending going to answer that? So I love that. Very nice, Sanjay. All right. So I know that there's a lot of different ways that you can test for underlying coronary artery disease. And as you know, here at Run the List, we always like to have frameworks to help organize our thinking. How do you approach thinking about the various diagnostic tests that are available for this, again, non-invasive evaluation of chest pain? There are a plethora of tests that are available in this setting, but I like to group them into two different types. One is anatomic and one is functional. So when it comes to anatomic testing, the one that comes to mind is coronary computed tomography and geography, or coronary CTA, which is a non-invasive study um, that involves a CT scan of the heart, but a contrast injection. So we can opacify the coronaries, and so we can see that there's obstructive disease in this non-invasive method. 
Another way that we're not going to talk about because it's invasive is an invasive coronary angiogram or a cardiac cath. And then there's one other anatomic one that I want to talk about, and that's coronary artery calcium score. And that is also a CT scan that's done. And this does not involve contrast, but it gives you an idea of what calcium burden a patient may have. And calcium and cholesterol, you know, and, and atherosclerotic plaque go together. We tend to use calcium scoring more to risk stratify folks that might be in the intermediate range. Uh, a classic example in the guidelines is if someone is kind of in the intermediate range for 10-year atherosclerotic risk, and you want to have a conversation with the patient about should they be on a statin or not, you can use a calcium score um, to make that more educated discussion and decision. So flipping in going over to functional testing, I think this is what most people think about when they think of stress testing. The most basic and the most utilized one is an ETT ECG or an exercise treadmill test with electrocardiogram. The other ones I think about are more sophisticated imaging modalities when it comes to stress testing, and those include nuclear cardiology tests such as SPECT or single photon emission computed tomography, or PET, positron emission tomography, stress echocardiography, and stress cardiac MRI or magnetic resonance imaging. Really like that framework. So again, as you said, Sanjay, there's anatomic approaches and there's functional approaches to testing for coronary artery ischemia. So in this case, again, using our 59-year-old female who's coming with this episodic chest pain that's primarily exertional, resolves with rest, how would you go about deciding on the diagnostic test of choice? Great. So again, a very common scenario. In general, I like functional testing. However, there's some really important uses for anatomic testing. And I'll give you a couple of examples. One might be for someone to use coronary CTA in a patient that's in that lower range of intermediate risk where you're not suspicious of obstructive coronary disease, but the presence of mild atherosclerosis or mild plaques may educate the discussion and with the patient that, you know, maybe they need some more aggressive risk factor modification and consider statin therapy as an example. The second is a young patient who comes in with very typical angina, which is defined as chest pain or pressure that is brought about by exertion or emotional stress and relieved with rest or nitroglycerin. That patient who comes in at a young age, they're actually more likely to have something such as an anomalous coronary artery with a kind of malignant course that's causing their typical angina than they are run-of-the-mill coronary artery disease. So in young patients that come in with very typical symptoms, I like to use a coronary CTA to exclude the possibility of an anomalous coronary causing their symptoms. Could I just clarify that? So you're saying an anomalous coronary artery, it's more of a mechanical, extrinsic obstruction issue as opposed to something intrinsic, intraluminal, like atherosclerotic based? That's exactly right. So a malignant course may be one that transverses in between the pulmonary artery and the um, aorta. Nice. Okay. Thank you. So when then it comes to functional testing, you want to think about what is the visualization that you're using. So for example, if the patient has an abnormal EKG at baseline, a left bundle branch block, ST, T changes, the ETT ECG is not going to be a good study here, right? Because it's going to be a non-diagnostic study. But if the patient has a normal ECG, then that's a great test. It's done everywhere. It's pretty cheap and it's extremely helpful because again, you're not only getting the EKG information, but you're also getting exercise, heart rate, blood pressure, symptoms, etc. If you want to really visualize the myocardium, in my opinion, you want to use a different study. And in particular, if the patient has a known diagnosis of CAD, 
So has had a coronary CTA or has had an angiogram before or has had a stent or bypass surgery before. If you really want to visualize the myocardium in an imaging way, in my opinion, you want to use either nucleocardiology, echo, or MRI as the test you'd use, not just an ETT ECG. And of course, in terms of the stressor, it comes down to exercise or pharmacologic. And you know, our rule in our cardiovascular imaging program is you exercise everybody. And if you can't, you can't. But you get so much data from an exercise study. There are nuances to this that we won't go into. But in general, even if a patient is ordered for a pharmacologic stress, our physiologists here are so good and and at many centers that they will always try to exercise the patient if it's safe to do so, because the patient and the referring physician get so much more information from that study. Really, really helpful. So just so I make sure I understand this as the gastroenterologist. So essentially, if you're going to pursue an ECG exercise tolerance test, you want to make sure that patient has a baseline normal ECG so that you can detect changes that would suggest ischemia. Yeah, exactly. And in this case, our 59-year-old patient here with a normal resting ECG, this would be a great opportunity for her to refer her for an ECG ETT. Love it. So let's do that. So she goes and has her ECG exercise tolerance test or stress test, and it comes back and no significant ST segment, T wave changes are seen at a high workload. So Sanjay, this patient's now back in your clinic. What are you going to recommend to her moving forward? So a good result for this patient, again, extremely helpful that didn't have any ischemic changes, but also was able to do a high workload. The other thing I'd look for in this report and also talk to the patient about in clinic is, did she have her typical symptoms? Because it can be very helpful if those symptoms are not present there and can be quite reassuring. So for this patient, I would tell her, one, I'm really glad you came in to see me with these symptoms. Um, And I would say that at, at this point, I'm reassured that there's a very low likelihood of obstructive coronary artery disease. But I would also counsel the patient on when to return. So for example, the pain gets worse in caliber or quality. It comes about with less activity or something that I always want to make sure I tell patients about. They ever have rest pain. Rest pain can be concerning and they should come in and seek evaluation for that. Sanjay, this has been so, so good. I love how you have this approach to thinking about the non-invasive evaluation of chest pain. Can you kind of summarize, let's say three pearls for um, our listeners to take away from this episode. Definitely, Naveen. So going back to kind of our case discussion and the way we think about diagnostic testing for chest pain, the three things I'd want the listeners to take away are, one, understand the patient's pretest probability of disease, and you want to focus referring patients who are at intermediate risk, because the results of that study are going to be helpful for clinical management of that patient. Two, know the clinical question. And again, this goes for an abdominal CT scan, a chest x-ray, anything you might order, but particularly for stress testing, really try to hone in on for yourself, what is the question you're asking? The most common question and the question for our patient's case was, are my patient's symptoms from flow-limiting coronary artery disease? And the final thing I would say is exercise everyone. It provides really valuable information at the time of stress testing for the patient and for the referring physician. Sanjay, this was just such a pleasure. Thank you for joining us and thank you for the listeners out there for listening to our episode and non-invasive evaluation of chest pain. We hope you join us again and hopefully I can come back as a host. This was very enjoyable and Sanjay, maybe you can come back as well. Would love to do that and Naveen, you did a great job. Oh, thank you so much. All right, everybody, take care. 